I am Gregory Hallows, and this is Preserve Halloween Podcast. So, I can't even begin to uh, figure out when the last time it was that I sat down and recorded a podcast. I have been insanely busy with uh, convention things, and if anyone hasn't uh, saw it yet, I am helping uh, with the Joe Bob's uh, Jamboree in Memphis, Tennessee this year in July uh, 8th through 10th. I was asked by Joe Bob to help, actually not help, but I was asked by him to run the fan convention portion of the Jamboree, which is super exciting for me because it gives me the chance to uh, book horror guests that normally don't fit into the uh, normal conventions that I do, they're more Comic-Con uh, related. There are, you know, sometimes a few horror-related guests, but to be able to book a show that's, you know, 99.99% horror and cult and things like that was, you know, a lot of fun for me. So I'll, I'll put a link to that in the in the description, but it's going to be fun. I'm really excited about the show. Uh, we're doing... Uh, they're doing a Halloween 3 reunion, uh, 40th anniversary with Tom Atkins and Stacey Noken and Tommy Lee Wallace. So that was fun to put together and help out with. But um, my topic today or this week or whenever you decide to listen to this is something that I've been wanting to do for quite some time. Um, I've talked about it briefly before, I think, but I love music. I used to be a DJ in college uh, on the air at the college radio station. I worked for MTV in college. I managed a band. I uh, used to book concerts at uh, clubs around the town I used to live in. So at one point, I just assumed that I would end up in music somehow for a job. And, you know, it didn't turn out that way, but I still. I absolutely love music. I run a personal radio station at my house that I can listen to uh, inside. And um, I love collecting vinyl and, you know, I just love all kinds of music. So uh, Halloween music is one of those things that I'm very weird and finicky about. Like some music, it's just like Halloween movies. It may be considered Halloween, but it's really not. Um, there is a lot of music that I listen to during the month of uh, Halloween and the months leading up to it because I I generally listen to that kind of music all the time because it's, you know, surf punk and rockabilly and, you know, stuff that I just like anyway. But everyone, whether you love Halloween music or hate it or are indifferent Everyone, I, I would assume the majority of the living world has heard Monster Mash. That is one of those songs that a lot of people love to hate. A lot of people can't imagine Halloween without hearing it at least once or a billion times. It's on every compilation that exists, I think, for Halloween, especially you know mainstream stuff. So it's one of those, you know, I... Everyone's heard the song, but do you, do, does everyone know the history of the song and where it came from and, 
and anything about the song itself. So I decided to, you know, do some research because I love looking things up and I love research in general. I could, you know, pretty much do that all day long. So Monster Mash is a song that came out in 1962. And, you know, the 60s was the 50s and 60s was that time frame where, you know, monster stuff was everywhere. Monsters were on TV, Adam's family, you know, it was kind of a really wonderful time frame for people who love monsters. Um, a guy named Bobby Pickett was an American singer, songwriter, actor, comedian, and you know he had been in bands. He had you know been around the circuit, I guess is what you would describe it. But during one of his live performances, he incorporated an impression of Boris Karloff into the act and people just went insane. So he decided that maybe he should take this further and write a song about, you know, just monsters in general. So in the song, as, as most of us know, there is an impression of Boris Karloff. There's an impression of Bela Lugosi and, there's also a, an impression of, of uh, Igor, and I think um, he's channeling Peter Lorre, maybe. Um, that's the impression I get. But uh, this song was written uh, and performed in 1962, and it, Bobby Pickett was only 24 years old. So as as... The history goes, you know, this is basically a one-hit wonder. This guy hopefully made a lot of money off this one song, but if you bring up the name Bobby Pickett, for the most part, people associate him with Monster Mash. And, you know, rightfully so, but he teamed up with a guy named Gary S. Paxton because no record label would agree to release Monster Mash back in, you know, the 60s. I guess it didn't fit their criteria or didn't fit their format or whatever. So Gary Paxton decided to release it on his own record label, which was called Garepax, you know, after himself. And in August of 1962, the single was released. This was a 45, which... I guess if people aren't old enough, a 45 is is comparable to a certain age group, a single, or uh, more recently, an MP3 of you know one song. That's probably the the easiest uh, description. But a 45 had an A and B side with one song each. That's it. So on the A side was Monster Mash, and on the B side was Monsters Mash Party, and like I said, this was released on Gary Paxton's label, Garepax Gare, Records, in August of 1962. And the song quickly reached number one on the Billboard Hot 100, which, you know, that's a big deal, really big deal for for a novelty song especially. Um, it became a million seller, and it was – it reached – the uh billboard number one at the at the appropriate time it's right before halloween so um 
this song was was partially inspired by a song that Gary Paxton had recorded earlier called Alley Oop, which the the name Monster Mash is in reference to a, a dance that was very popular back then called the Mashed Potato. Um, and they even made a dance for it that basically was the Mashed Potato, but then you kind of act like you're Frankenstein while you're doing it, so... Uh, it's the monster mashed potato, I guess. Um, this song uh, was really, really popular. And the funny thing is, it was only available on this 45 because, you know, this was the 60s where you either heard this song on the radio or you bought the 45 and listened to it over and over again. There was no full album. This, you know, was intended as a novelty thing. Uh, but it was so popular that they quickly wanted to release a full album, and that was the original Monster Mash, and that was uh, released in late 1962. And the funny thing about it is the reason it's called the original Monster Mash is because uh, Zachary, who we all love and adore, he recorded the song himself and put it out on his own album called Monster Mash. So uh, that was released on uh, Cameo Parkway. Um, I think I have a copy of that album somewhere. It's it's very expensive now. Uh, I mean, as most vinyl is. But Zachary released a cover of the song on this album, and because he did it before Bobby Pickett, Bobby was, ref- was forced to name his album the original Monster Mash to differentiate himself from Zachary's cover. Um, so that that album was the uh, Bobby Pickett and the Crip Kicker, Crip Kickers. And what I found most interesting, and what I kind of decided to focus this podcast on, was the Crip Kickers. You would just assume was you know session musicians or whatever, but much like. Our beloved uh, Swampers here in the South, the Crip Kickers were, they were filled with very, very good uh, musicians. One of them being Leon Russell, and if you don't know who Leon Russell is, he was an American musician, songwriter, and during his 60-year career, which included rock and roll, country, gospel, bluegrass, R&B, southern rock, blues rock, folk, surf, Tulsa sound basically if it could be recorded and created he he could do it this guy is amazing uh if you have never heard a Leon Russell album just go grab any anything and you're gonna like it um he uh earned six gold records during his career he received two Grammy awards he was nominated seven times for Grammys uh, he was inducted into the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame and the Songwriters Hall of Fame in 2011. Over his wonderful career, he worked with the Beach Boys, Dick Dale, Janet Dean, Elton John, Eric Clapton, Ringo Starr, George Harrison, Bob Dylan, my one of my favorites, Frank Sinatra, Ike and Tina Turner, and the Rolling Stones, among many other other groups. But Leon was just at this in, for this session. He was just one of the Crip Kickers. Um, I did read something that said uh, Mel Taylor from the Ventures, he was the drummer. He should also be credited for uh, playing on this record because one of the rumors I read was Leon Russell 
arrived late for the recording session and he only appears on the actual b-side so i don't know how true that is somebody that's uh, a music historian is gonna have to answer that for me i i i'm assuming leon russell played on monster mash but maybe he didn't but this is where the the story got fun for me um the backup singers on monster mash was a group called the blossoms uh, they started their career in high school in 1954 as the Dreamers, and they mostly sang spirituals and you know s- songs that you would hear in church because two of the members of the Dreamers' parents did not want their daughters singing uh, secular rhythm and blues. Um, that's kind of that's how we got a lot of R&B singers started out in the church. So. The, the group members at this time were Fanita Barrett, Gloria Jones, Jewel Cobb, Cobbs, Pat Howard, and twin sisters Annette and Nanette Williams. They were uh, very versatile singers, and they did a lot of studio work uh, singing backup. And they did so well that they signed with Capitol Records. Uh, and this, is, this was an odd part of the story. One of the executives noticed that they all had different skin tones, and he said they looked like a bouquet of flowers, uh, which is odd, but he changed their name to the Blossoms because of that. Uh, And they did not stay at Capitol Records very long. Uh, By 1958, uh, Nanette Williams was married, pregnant, and she was planning on leaving the group to, you know, settle down into married life and be a mom. So... In came a newcomer named Darlene Wright, and she was selected to be the lead vocalist, which the Blossoms never really did. They were in an ensemble. So they they let this new girl in and let her be the lead. So she must have been good, right? So even when they, they changed their style up, they were still, uh, you know, success was elusive. So... In the summer of 1962, four years later, the Blossoms finally were uh, on the charts. They they had reached success, but only sort of. Uh, there was a guy, unknown at the time, whose name is Phil Spector. So if you are any kind of music person, you know who Phil Spector is. He uh, learned that a, a singer called Vicky Carr was about to record a song called He's a Rebel for Liberty Records. And that was to be her debut single. So he decided he needed to to, uh, record his own version of the song. Um, And I don't know how many of you listen to old 50s and 60s music, but there are a lot of songs sung by a lot of different people. Uh, You can hear, you know, 10 versions of the same song. Uh, I guess that was kind of the, the, the way it was done back then. So... Phil Spector wanted to beat Vicky Carr and, and Liberty Records to the punch, so he recorded his own version of He's a Rebel. But the problem was his biggest group at the time, the Crystals, that was his, you know, leading girl group at you know at that time, they were on the East Coast touring and they could not record the song. So he brought in the Blossoms to record the track, but he didn't credit them. He's even though the Blossoms sang the song and recorded it, he credited the Crystals, even though the Crystals, this was like, they didn't want that. They were very dismayed at the at the idea of being uh, 
credited for a song they didn't record. So the Blossoms only received a session fee, which wasn't a lot, and they're not contribute. Are they're not re- credited for contributing to the record at all? The song became number one, and it established Phil Spector as a force in the music industry. But I'm sure it irritated the Blossoms uh, tremendously. So I guess as some sort of retribution over the next three years, the Blossoms with uh, Wright, Darlene Wright as the lead singer would be Phil Spector's favorite singers on all of the sessions recorded in California. Maybe he realized he screwed up big time. Maybe that was the only way he could keep this group together. Who knows? But during this time frame is when the Blossoms would be brought in as backup vocalists on Monster Mash. Now, uh, they the Blossoms were huge. They, they were on uh, backup singers for the Righteous Brothers, You've Lost That Love and Feeling, which, number one, uh, they were back up on songs by the Ronettes, which was, you know, one of their hits was Be My Baby, the, the Blossoms back up on that. And uh, Shelly Faberis, uh, Johnny Angel, they're also singing back up on that song. Um, in 1964, the uh, Blossoms were reduced down to a trio. And now at this time, Darlene Wright was going by the name Darlene Love, which may be more familiar of a song or a a name for, for music people because Darlene love is the name I knew her by. Uh, Barrett is now uh, going by Fanita James and there is a newcomer named Gene King. This new trio uh, version of the blossoms used their versatility vocal wise to their advantage. And they sang with a huge uh, variety of artists. They sang with Patty Duke, Shelly Faberis again, Jackie Wilson, Aretha Franklin, Marvin Gaye. So the Blossoms, big time. Um, I'm sure if you love R&B or any, you know, 50s and 60s music, you've heard of the Blossoms. Uh, In fact, in 2013, the Blossoms were highlighted in an Oscar-winning documentary called 20 Feet from Stardom, which is wonderful. It is a really good documentary about uh, backup singers. And in this documentary is where they revealed they sung uh, vocals for Monster Mash. They sang uh, backup vocals for Frank Sinatra's uh, version of That's Life. And they're also the backup singers on Betty Everett's Shoop Shoop song. Um, So... It's kind of nuts how the Monster Mash, which is basically a song about a song, which I'll get into that in a a second. But the Monster Mash is, to me, a crazy look at how monsters invaded human life through the popularity of dance. But it's also a cool journey of musical excellence wrapped up in a package of a holiday-themed one-hit wonder that... You know, we continue to love every year, each and every Halloween season. You know, you you can say you don't like that song, but it, it's just a good song. Um, but what I was referencing to with uh, the song itself, the the song is basically about the dance, of course. But as I read the lyrics, it. I printed them out so I could look at them. And it's funny, the story it tells. Um, There's a scientist working in the lab, and 
his monster rises and uh, he started dancing. Uh, and then because of that, uh, all the ghouls came to get, you know, some electricity from from the, the scientist's uh, electrodes. And then they started doing the dance. So, like, did the scientist invent the dance by electrocuting? Is that is, – is the reference to the monster mash just being electrocuted? Because, you know, Frankenstein's monster was brought to life by electricity and then uh, the ghouls came to get their jolt from the electrodes and then they started doing the monster mash. And then uh, – all of a sudden, a party breaks out. So Wolfman shows up. Dracula, his son, they all show up. And they they're, now there's music playing. Like, where'd that come from? That just all of a sudden. Uh, Igor's on the chains and making it an, a musical instrument for some reason. Uh, there's a bunch of dogs howling. Uh, the Coffin Banger's about to arrive with their vocal group, the Crypt Keeker 5, which is funny. So there's a whole nother band coming. So now that it's turned into a, a, a concert with multiple acts. Uh, and then the song goes from this is just a dance. Now there's a song about the dance and it becomes a huge success. So this song that came from electricity is now like a number one hit in the monster land. So all of a sudden, Dracula pops up and he's like, what happened to my song? Transylvania twist. Like, why are you dissing me? So they're all like, well, no, your song's old school. Now we're talking about the monster mash. It's, it's the biggest song. So get over it. So, uh, the next verse is like, all of a sudden Dracula got over his jealousy and now he's part of the band. So like how many people are in this band? Uh, Monster Mash is the hit of the land. They're touring. They're touring everywhere, and now it's gotten so popular that the the monsters have crossed over into the mainstream. So now the living are digging this Monster Mash song, and that's I guess that's like crossover appeal when like a country song becomes mainstream on on regular pop forty. That's that's the way I looked at it. So, monster mash, I guess, is type of a type of genre. So, like, there's monster music, and so when you cross over into the living, you've you've that's how you know you've made it. So, like, if a country song crosses over to top forty, that's how you know you made it. This is the reference I get. Uh, so then, to end the song, you're basically doing the monster mash dance again, and. Igor, you know, kind of just starts babbling and the mad scientist says, calm down, dude. It's okay. I know you like this Monster Mash song. So with that last sentence, was this all like in the scientist's head? Like, what, was he just making all this up because he got struck by lightning and he had some kind of fever dream or his life flashed before him and... He's he's been told that he needs to come up with this monster mash song. I don't know, but uh, I thought I thought it was funny to finally just sit and read the lyrics and and realize how crazy it goes. Like 
from zero to 60 in two seconds. So uh, that is my very uh, odd and and uh, probably deep dive into Monster Mash, the song. But I am, am very impressed by the uh, musical excellence that is included on this song that probably at the time was never intended to endure as long as it has. I mean, it's gone on to the Billboard charts multiple times, and you know you're going to hear it during Halloween, like it's inevitable. So, I mean, if you're Bobby Pickett, I mean, you could ask for a better career, I guess, but to have a song that has that much importance to and, and last as long as it has, I mean, that's not bad. So... Congratulations to him. Uh, there is a book, I think, about his life that he – there's a huge concentration on the song itself and in how it affected his life. Um, I'm going to try to find it and read it and see. But uh, until next time, preserve Halloween. Preserve Halloween.